Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon. Whenever and wherever you're listening, we just wanted to extend the warmest of welcomes. So kick back and relax as we continue through our sermon series. Good morning. How are y'all? First day of spring, I believe, or first weekend of spring, I guess, at least. Um, We are continuing in our series of Matthew, and if you have not yet picked up a copy of this, we have this journal um, that we are giving out uh, free of charge. It's just so you can keep up, and it's a place you can take notes if you'd like. And today, we're on page 109 in that journal, so if you have yours, Take it out now. If you don't, pick one up after the service and, uh, and be able to keep up with us. So um, first, let me give you an update. Uh, Pastor Larry is doing well. I actually stopped by and visited him this week. Um, he's up. He is walking. He is actually here this morning, which we're very happy for. Now, just a word of warning, okay? He has had back surgery. So you may want to hug him. You might want to give him a pat on the back. Do not do that, okay? Just like shake hands, wave, say hi, fist bump or something like that, but don't touch the back. Um, He went in for surgery, I guess it was about three, four weeks ago now, um, and I got a text from him, and uh, he's had back problems for, for years. It's just been an ongoing issue, but it finally got to the point where they said, we got to do something. And it was kind of an emergency. And so I get this text about four weeks ago and he says, Hey, I'm, I have to go in. It's an emergency back surgery. I'm going to be out, you know, four to six weeks, six to eight weeks, whatever it was. And I need to fill a lot of the Sundays for preaching. And would you preach for me? And I said, sure, great. Whatever I can do, I am happy to help. And he says, well, the date that I really need you to cover is, the one that I don't have covered, is March 20th. I really need you to do that one. I said, sure, whatever you need, I'll take it. What's the passage? And this is the passage, Matthew 5, 27 through 30. You have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. (laughs) Thanks, Larry. (laughs) So just a word of of advice for all of you. When somebody asks for a favor, find out what it is before you say yes, okay? Today, we are talking about lust. Thank you. Um, But it is, it's actually a very relevant issue, particularly in our culture today. Sex is being used to sell everything from perfume to Diet Pepsi, from cars to Carl's Jr. hamburgers, I mean, you can't hardly watch TV or read a magazine without being bombarded with ads. Now, for those of you who are millennials here, magazines, they're these things that are printed on paper, usually glossy paper. They have articles in them and pictures, okay? But you can't hardly go anywhere without just being bombarded with sex being all over. You know, the old saying is sex sells. And then... You add to that the growth of the internet, and that has just exacerbated the problem. And so it really is an issue for our day. And by the way, it is not just an issue for men and for males. It's an issue that I think 
affects all of us. And we need to be able to talk openly and honestly about it, even if it makes us a little bit uncomfortable. So a word of warning, I decided we should probably start with saying this message today is going to be rated PG-13. All right. So let me start with this. I want this very underlying truth that I really want us to grasp. And that is this, that God intends the very best for you. That is a fundamental belief that you have got to grab hold of. That whatever Jesus says in this, this passage, and, and you read passages like this, and you just go, whoa, that's, that's kind of harsh, you know? And I like what Pastor Jeff said a couple weeks ago. He says, it's harsh because it matters. It is an important issue. And there are many things that Jesus said that were harsh and difficult and hard. And sometimes we read these things, passages like this, and we just go, what? <laughs> Does Jesus know what he's talking about here? And for someone who has based his life and ministry on the fact that I believe Jesus knows what he's talking about, then there must be something here that we need to understand. And we need to take it apart and really look at it. So this comes, this, this one passage that we're looking at comes, it's in the context of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And remember, we started back in January, this, this whole Sermon on the Mount section of Matthew 5, um, with that series of blessings, the Beatitudes, where Jesus gave all of these blessings. And I think you need to go back to there and just say, okay, remember how Jesus started this sermon. That God is all about blessing us. That God intends and wants the very best for us. And that's why he started with the blessings, so that we'd understand whatever comes after this, it's all for your good. It's all for your benefit. That is God's heart for you. And remember, we gave you a definition of being blessed, that blessed is about profound joy and fulfillment living in God's favor. In other words, it's a fundamental belief that what God intends for my life is the very, very best. And so if I follow his principles and precepts, if I obey his commands, it is really for my benefit, and it might be hard, and it might be difficult, and there might be times when I don't even understand, but if I have a fundamental belief that God is for me, that God intends the very best for me, then even if I don't understand it, it is going to be the very best way for me to live. And if you don't start there, then everything else just seems like it's, it's just rules and regulations, and that is not God's intent. His intent for you is the very, very best way to live. So we've got to go all the way back to the very beginning, to Genesis, because that's where God created us. And when he created us, among other things, he created us as sexual beings. And along with that package came lust. So in the right context, lust can, lust can actually be a good thing. I think it would be safe to say that without lust, Probably none of us would be here today. <laughs> that created us as sexual beings, God planted within us this desire. And it is a good thing. And God created us as sexual beings, and, and he created sex and lust for three basic, three basic purposes. The first one is to produce, reproduce offspring. Genesis 1, 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, 
Be fruitful and increase in number. That one of the fundamental reasons that God created us as sexual beings is for perpetuating the species. That we would continue to multiply and increase in number. And he said, that is a blessing. That's that same word, blessing. He blessed them with this. The second reason that he gave it to us was to promote intimacy. Genesis 2, 24. A man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. That God designed us as sexual beings, not just to reproduce ourselves, but, but to build intimacy. And there is something within the context of the covenant of marriage that is deepened through sexual intimacy. Lewis Smedes put it this way in his book, Sex for Christians. He says, it is the intimacy of persons with persons, the giving of self and receiving of another. The communion that comes from a rapturous personal exposure in the embrace of another person. That's God's design. And not only that, he made it pleasurable. (laughs) And that's the third reason. Even before sin entered the scene, before the fall, God created man, created woman, said, be fruitful and increase. And then he ended that whole section with saying this, God saw all that he was made And it was very good. That's God's intent. His intent and his design for sex and lust in all in the context of marriage is that it is very good. The problem comes with our mismanagement. That God created something great and wonderful and pleasurable and purposeful, purposeful, but we kind of mess things up. And when we ignore God's intent, what happens is we do damage to our heart. See, God intends the very best for us. But when we violate that, when we ignore that, when we, when we just kind of push that to the side and just do our own thing, what ends up happening is we do damage to our hearts. That adultery and lust accomplish the very opposite of what God's intent was. See, in adultery... I violate the covenant. Within the context of the marriage covenant, sex is intended to be an intimate expression of self-giving love. Adultery violates that covenant. And it does damage. And I think the one that it does the most damage to is the innocent party when they find out. Because intimacy is based on trust. And when trust is broken, intimacy is thrown apart. It betrays the trust. It destroys intimacy. And let me tell you, 40 plus years of pastoral ministry, I have seen the damage that it does. And I've seen the heartbreak and the broken trust that an affair brings about. And the hurt And sometimes the anger and bitterness and all that's involved in that, it just does deep, deep damage. And I have worked with couples and a few have been able to overcome and go on. But it's a lot of hard work to do that. It does great, great damage. Lust 
does damage on an even deeper level. This is what Jesus said. I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, what happens with lust is that there's pleasure involved, but it's about self-gratification and self-indulgence. And what it does is it changes a mindset when you look at a person of the opposite sex. Because when you continue in fantasies and continue in lust, what it does is it, it turns the other person into an object. And we no longer see them as a person. We no longer look at that person as, as someone's daughter or wife or sister or granddaughter or grandchild. The lust changes the way that we look at people and it undermines healthy relationships and it does damage on an even deeper level on our heart. The impact is far more profound. And if it's unchecked, if we don't keep an eye on it, if we don't manage this correctly, what happens is it it just gets worse because lust is an appetite. And what happens when you feed an appetite? It only grows. James wrote about this. He said, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. That's the start. But then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. See, there's a a path, there's a progression that goes on here. And then when it's full grown, it gives birth to death. So lust that is indulgence, lust that, that, that we, we, we kind of keep hidden but keep inside and think that we've got it under control, it is doing damage on a far deeper level. Lust is kind of like a marshmallow. Let me show you this. Sit in that chair. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? All right. Okay? 
back. Stay in the chair, okay? Okay. So I'm gonna leave and then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. <laughs> How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? Yeah. You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you I'd give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. <laughs> Lust is kind of like that. We want to see how close we can get without stepping over the line. Sniff at it, put it in the mouth, but don't bite, you know, pick at it. But he says, it's about something deeper. That God intends something good for your life. And when you violate that, see, lust promises pleasure, but it's always temporary. And it leaves you with this feeling of guilt and shame. One of the wisest men that ever lived, Solomon, wrote a whole book called Proverbs. And of all the things that he wrote, Proverbs 4.23, he said, above all else, above all, all this great wisdom and all this great teaching I'm going to give you, he says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And that's just what Jesus is saying. This is about your heart. So how do we remedy this? What do we do about this? Well, Jesus goes on. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, for those of you who are literalists, you're going to have a trouble with this one. <laughs> Jesus is not advocating what it says, Okay. <laughs> He's not talking about mutilating yourself. But what he is saying is this is serious business and you need to pay attention to it. He's using a rhetorical device. It's a teaching device. It's called hyperbole. And he uses something and it just exaggerates it so everybody just stops and goes, whoa, whoa, whoa wait, wait, what? Because he wants you to know if you don't do something about this, there are deeper, far more reaching consequences so you've got to do something about it. Now, he's not saying actually gouge out your eyes and cut off your hands. But he is saying you've got to take action of some kind. 
So what is the answer for all of this? God's answer for our hearts is his grace. See, that's the real answer. Jesus bore the punishment in his body for us, for our sin on the cross. So we don't have to gouge out eyes and cut off hands. He already bore all of that penalty, all of the brunt of our sin for us on the cross. And his words make it very, very clear to us that we need help with this issue. His strong word makes it really clear that we are in desperate need of his grace. Ephesians 2 says, because of his great love for us, again, his great love, his great intent, his great desire for us, he, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. See, we were dead. We had no hope with this sin or any other sin. But because of his great love for us, on that cross, he made us alive. And grace, and, and I, most of you who know that have been here with the last 30-something years, grace is my heartbeat because grace is God's heartbeat. And I have preached about grace over and over and again, and I will continue to do it. But I want to make clear that you understand grace is not just about forgiveness. It is that, but it is more than that. Grace is not just about forgiveness of my sin. It is also about a new way of life. It is learning to live in his grace. That his grace not only forgives our sin, but it gives us the opportunity to break the cycle of sin. It's a new way of living. Your heart didn't get into this condition overnight. And it won't get healthy overnight either. But there are some heart-healthy, heart-guarding habits of grace that will help. And this is kind of what I want to end with. Some very practical steps of what you can do. How do you, how do you grow in God's grace? It starts with confession. In confession, I get honest with myself and honest with God. John wrote, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, that's his grace. It's not just confession and forgiveness, but it's also the purification process. When I sin, when I give in to temptation, when I indulge in that lust, what happens is I want to keep it hidden. And I will go to great lengths to keep it hidden, even from myself. So the first thing I've got to do is be honest with myself and honest before God and just say, God, I have, I have failed. And this goes for every sin. God, I can't fix myself. I need your forgiveness. I need you to purify me from the inside out. Transparency and confession is absolutely the first step. And it's an ongoing habit that we need to practice. But there's a second thing. Remember your deepest values. Peter wrote, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When I keep in mind my deepest values, it's about the person that I want to be. I heard someone say 
they started praying, God, help me to become the person my dog thinks I actually am. <laughs> I, I have a friend um, who was really working on, and had just set some health goals for himself. He wanted to lose some weight, wanted to build some muscle, so he set up kind of this weight machine in his garage. And on the wall of his garage, he pinned up a pair of pants about five sizes smaller than what he was currently wearing. Because it was a constant reminder, that's why I'm doing this. <laughs> I want to fit those jeans someday. See, it, when I think about my deepest values, it's about the person that I want to become. It's about my heart and changing from the inside out. It's growing in grace and knowledge. Third thing is to ask yourself, where will this lead? Where will this lead? Proverbs 27, 12. The wise see danger ahead and avoid it, but fools keep going and get into trouble. The whole temptation of marshmallow thing. If I keep moving down a path that gets closer and closer to actually going over the edge, thinking that that path isn't going to take me over the edge, I'm fooling myself. And you all know what your triggers are. You know where that path starts for you. And if you could just stop at the beginning of the path, because the further you go down the path, it's kind of a snowball effect. It keeps rolling and keeps propelling you forward down that path. So up at the front end, say, I know where this path leads. And stop it there. Because it's a lot of little decisions that lead up to the big fall. The old saying is, how do, how do people become bankrupt? Little by little, all at once. <laughs> Just a little overspending here, a little charging too much there. Another, using a credit card to pay off a credit card. And little by little, all at once, I'm, I'm bankrupt. Sin is that way. It's along a path that's little by little, but all at once. A fourth thing you can do. Monitor your heart's satisfaction level. Keep an inventory of your heart. Guarding your heart means keeping an inventory. Because you are most vulnerable when you are dissatisfied with some aspect of your life. When you're not feeling good about things, you just want to feel good, even if it's just for a little while. So you'll indulge in a fantasy. You'll nibble at the edges of the marshmallow. And so monitoring your, your heart's satisfaction level keeps you up above it. Philippians 3, Paul wrote this. My brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again. It is a safeguard for you. So rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Now, what you need to know is Paul wrote that from prison. <laughs> Not in the most ideal life circumstances. But he realized that even in prison, God was still gracious. God was still working. God still had him in his hands. And, and we kind of need to learn how to connect the dots. That, that every good and perfect gift, James says, comes 
from the Father of lights. To, to take the time and to realize all of the blessings that God has brought to your life. That even in the most difficult circumstances that God has not abandoned you. And to realize and celebrate his blessings. One of the things that my wife and I have done since we were married is we have always tried to make time to, to get together with friends. And we would, you know, our, our home, my, when, when, um, when my mother-in-law, um, she inherited a whole uh, set of china. And, and my, my wife has a, has a sister. And, and she just said, you know, she's not going to do near the entertaining that you are. I'm giving this to you. <laughs> because we do all this entertaining. But we do that because getting together with friends, getting together and celebrating moments, keeping your heart satisfaction level is so important. Gathering together in a body like we do on Sunday mornings and singing the praises of God keeps our heart satisfaction level up. And that keeps your heart healthy and strong enough to guard against sin. And then the last one is this. Do not lose hope. Because it is an appetite, it will be with you all your life. And chances are you will stumble and you will fall and you will lose heart and you will lose hope. And you will think it's no use. I'm never going to change. Do not lose hope. John wrote, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. He knows everything. He knows my deepest desires. He knows my failures. But he's greater than all of that. And with that comes his grace. These are just a couple of lifelong habits that might help you with whatever struggle. And it may not be less. It might be some other sin that that just kind of pulls at you in a way like none of the others. But whatever it is, these heart-healthy habits will give you the strength to guard. Because of the nature of lust, it's never going to go away. It is going to be with you pretty much your whole life. So we will always need to be on guard. And we will always need to be guarding our hearts and constantly in need of God's grace to keep our thoughts properly directed and focused and under control. Would you bow your heads with me? God's grace is the answer for our weak and frail hearts. Next month, we're going to be celebrating Easter. First Good Friday, where Christ took on himself the penalty of our sin. And then the resurrection that promises there is a new life. And maybe you're here today, and maybe it's a first start for you. And it starts with confession. It's just an open honesty to say to myself and to God, I can't fix this on my own. Lord, you know me. You know my struggles. You know my sin. I need your forgiveness. But more than that, I need you also to strengthen me so I can guard my heart. And maybe for you, it's a first step of faith today.
Let me just encourage you as we close in prayer to take that step and say, Lord, take me just the way that I am. Change me from the inside out. I need you. Maybe you've already taken that step, but you find there are certain things that just continue to be a struggle. God knows your hearts, and he's greater than your hearts. And those same prayers can be yours today. So would you join me? Lord, you know every one of us. You know our hearts. You know us at the deepest part of who we are, better than we know ourselves. And you know, Lord, that we are weak and we struggle and we stumble and we need your forgiveness. So today, Lord, this is me asking for your grace, asking for your forgiveness, asking for that new life to take root and continue to grow in me. For I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna close with this song about coming to the altar. The altar is a place where you just lay everything out just like we just did in that prayer. This is me, Lord. I need you. And this concludes this week's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed spending some time with us. And if you haven't already, like and subscribe to our YouTube and find us on Instagram at NGATECF. See you next week.